1965 was best described as the years of violence, tragedy, and perseverance. An event that symbolized this era dramatically was the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was known as one of the most violent and brutal wars in U.S. history. The reasons for the war's upbringing was all due to the growing threat of communism and tensions for the U.S. During this time, 2.2 million American men were drafted out of the 27 million eligible between 1964 to 1973. Of these 2.2 million American men, a little over 58,000 American men died. Drafting riots and political factors impacted many people's lives throughout this time period. People's families, lives, and jobs were forever impacted from this era. My name is McKenna Thaken and I'm Elise Gustafson and in this episode we'll be talking about the Vietnam War and how it impacted the lives of American citizens on the home front. We're going to be mentioning key details about these time periods and McKenna will be conducting a special interview with her grandpa, Daniel Thaken, who was a college student at the start of the war. This episode will help understand the point of view and challenges they faced in order to survive this time period. Welcome and this is the Observations of the Vietnam War, the home front edition. So how are you doing today, Elise? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm just so ready to dive right in and talk about this amazing time period and get more information about the Vietnam War and hoping that our viewers and listeners will get something out of this that will help. I know. It's a fascinating time period. I myself, I don't think knew a lot about it before. I mean, a bit from history class, but... No, yeah, I completely agree. When I mean, after doing all this research, it helped me give such a better understanding of what these people went through and especially with my interview with my grandpa gave me such a better insight of what life was really like and how he felt about the vietnam war i know and i think it's just crazy to think like one of the things he had mentioned like even like how they didn't come back as heroes i just thought that was kind of crazy because like you just fought a war for your country and yeah his, i'm yeah his interview was fascinating to listen and get a great insight from and i'm so ready to get into it yeah so we're gonna be just quickly taking a listen now to the interview that mckenna did with her grandpa to get more understanding of how life was on the home front during the war So today we have guests, my grandfather, Daniel Thaken, and he is going to be talking about his life as an American citizen on the home front during the Vietnam War. So my first question is, what was the beginning of the war like for you? Here's the way that that shaped up. There really wasn't a beginning to the war. I was uh, 18 years old, actually 17 turned to 18. That would be about 1963, 1964. Our involvement there was called advisors, which we didn't actually do fighting, but we were sort of coaching the one, one of the sides in the fight. And it grew and grew and grew because they could not handle the fighting mm-hmm. and probably would have been pushed over. It was not popular. It was That was a crummy little country about the size of Florida. I couldn't find it on a map. We couldn't pronounce most of the city names there. Mm -hmm. It was odd as to why we were there. Now, on the other end, it lasted to about 1975, Mm -hmm. when most of the American people were sick of it. There were 60,000 dead by that time. A lot of guys coming in body bags, 18-year-old kids coming back dead. 
as to why we were there that was very confusing, including even odd answers like, if you don't stop them there, you're going to be fighting them on the beaches in California. Yeah. Which sounded stupid because they didn't even have much of a Navy. Okay. Um, were you scared of possibly getting drafted? Here's what happened. Um, when you turned 18, the draft was in. Uh, you were classified 1A, which mm -hmm. meant you could be drafted unless you got you went to college and then you got a 2S deferment. But when you were finished with four years in college, you were put into that 1A pool to be drafted. Yeah. So personally yourself, did you like ever think about like being drafted and like, if, were you nervous about that or? Oh, of course, because I, by that time, I already had some friends from Pius High School who had gone over there and my good friend, John Redlewich came back in a body bag and his name is on that Vietnam War Memorial. Yeah. We run a track team together mm -hmm. in Pius. Like personally yourself, did it affect you in any way? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very close. Um, there were plenty of people who didn't know why America was there. It says, I'm not going. If they draft me, I'm mm -hmm. not going, including my cousin, who now lives in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, which is just across the river from Detroit. So uh, if, if you ran away to Canada, they didn't send you back here because most of Canada, really, that was not a popular war at all. Mm -hmm. Most of Canada was not supportive of it. Okay. Tommy still lives there. Never came back. Um. So overall, like life as an American during the war, what do you what would you describe like life as living and as like American citizen during the war? He, here's what happened. There was no internet. It was considered America's first TV war. So the, there was only the evening news, CBS, ABC, uh, NBC. You would turn on your TV each night and see movies newsreels from the day before or a couple of days before that. And it was all this killing and body counts. Remember, I told you that's a very mm -hmm. small country. You couldn't say, well, now we took over this area or this area. They kept track of it by body count mm -hmm. because you're not really holding areas. So after the war was over, did anything like dramatically change, not even for yourself, but like, you noticed like in America that like could be changed from like your life before the war and life after the war. That was like either a positive or negative change that you uh, uh, mixed. If you ask me, could you tell me, Papa, tell me one good thing that came out of that war. Can I, I was thinking about it before. I can't tell you one good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very mixed. The thinking was uh, by 1975, when people got sick of it, that Congress cut off the money and they said, Oh my God, we're going to cut off the money and that South Vietnam will not be able to, isn't militarily strong enough, they're gonna fall and they fell anyway, mm -hmm. right? If you look on furniture, a lot of furniture, but you will see on the bottom, made in Vietnam, there, it's jungle. There's lots of trees and lumber there. So it's, you'll find things that are sold at uh, on Amazon. Yeah. Made in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Um. So going back to that question, kind of like, did you feel like your life went back to normal, as you would say, or like, did it feel kind of dragged on from there? Like after the war was over? What happened? There were no parades. There was no flag waving. A lot of the guys came back from there and were considered uh, warmongers, baby killing, 
because some gruesome pictures of people gunned down during that war. They were not heroes when they came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think because of the way it ended, uh, people generally just wanted to put it out of their mind. So you mentioned like about I was known as like the the TV war you said right yes so when you were watching the news as like a college student you were right you're a college student like what did it feel like like what were your reactions like towards like seeing like this like the news of like people like at war and like like your reactions like seeing so much like death and usually killing. if you would if you would watch that with a group of your friends almost any size group two four ten would be divided. What are we doing there? What's going on? What did we ever do to these little people? They were poor little, poor people. Mm-hmm. No shoes, uh, shorts and t-shirts. So why, what is this? What are we getting out of this? For, for a, a time there was talk that was valuable uh, minerals there. That wasn't true. The more you found out about the more you said, what, what are we doing there? Spending all this money for what? Yeah. Bombing these people. Remember, Quebec, that country is only the size of Florida, and you can hardly find it on a map. But how were they able to stand up to the USA? Because China was pouring in supply. Was it common for people not to be eligible? Here's or? what was happening. Everybody knew that it was called hiding out in college, including President Bill Clinton, who went to England and went to Oxford. As long as you stayed in college for the four years, or when an advanced degree, uh, like an advanced degree, you could hold your 2S deferment. But as soon as that was over, you were going in, right? Mm-hmm. So what was happening? Poor kids, a lot of them black, didn't go to college. So they were thrown into that 1A pool, mm-hmm. got drafted, and too many of those body bags had black guys in them. So it was considered racist. Mm-hmm. So to... Um, kind of balance that out. Instead of just picking, they went to a lottery system where everybody had an equal chance. Rich kids in college, poor kids in the hood, you got an equal chance of going. I might have gone to the end. I might have gone. I wasn't going to go. I might have gone to join my cousin, Tommy, in Canada. What was your career during the... What had happened out of college? I got a job as a teacher and teaching was another profession where you could keep a deferment. It wasn't a 2S deferment, it was a critical occupation deferment. People knew that and were sort of gaming the system. I'm gonna go into jobs where I, yeah. won't, be, I won't be drafted. Being strategic about it and I think, yeah. Uh, did the war change your perspective on anything or a certain thing, like at, like either during the war or after the war, like did it change your perspective on anything? Oh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Because the, the obvious thing is why are we sending all these these guys in there to fight in jungles, but the presidents didn't want to do it because they thought that would set off a nuclear exchange between China, Russia, and the U.S., and then it would be a completely different ballgame. Yeah. Right? As far as, did it, what did it change? Even even to this day, Ken, there, there's, there are similarities about this stuff of like Afghanistan. See, Afghanistan, what that was, well, they flew those planes into the World Trade Center on 9-11, right? Yeah. So we got to hit them. But where is Afghanistan? Where is this? But at least you had a reason to hit back, right? Yeah. This was so fuzzy to, to stop the global spread of communism. And now we're doing business with them anyway.
Do you notice a change, anything? Oh, to be very careful to where you put, you look at Aiden, your, your brother is old enough to put down his iPhone and pick up a gun and go off to war, to be very careful before you send mm -hmm. guys into there. What, with with kind of a, a clear, why are we going there and how do we get out? What, what's the end? It's called the end game. Mm -hmm. I want to know the end before we put them in. Yeah. Right. And presidents still think about that a lot. Hmm. What's the end game? Believe me, these discussions can were not just down here at street level at us little people. There was great disagreement in the White House, in the Senate, in the Congress, in the country generally, as that war became more and more unpopular and people sort of, everybody sort of knew somebody who had been killed over there. Mm -hmm. um, were there any lessons or experiences that you learned from the war at all, even though you weren't physically in it, but anything that you kind of taken away from it? Uh, let me see. Uh, th that was called gradualism, kind of back there, mm -hmm. we'll a little bit. We'll put a few guys in and then a few more and a few more. That has sort of changed now that you're better to just go in real strong right away, either get it over with or get out. Mm -hmm. a, a strong, the, the, the tiptoeing in there, like putting your toe in a cold swimming pool. No, not, not when you, if it's a war. Mm -hmm. But that war was so odd, Ken, because it wasn't like, if you look at the pictures, most of those North Vietnamese didn't even have uniforms. Dirty little shorts and dirty mm -hmm. little, this, they are able to stand up to this American. Well, how are they doing it? Mm -hmm. That you could, you could be tied down in a, it was a guerrilla warfare. Yeah. Right? Instead of large armies. If there was one thing that was sort of a plus, if you look at, Flight for Life helicopters, mm -hmm. since helicopters were used so widely in that war to fly the injured out, that did, Korea started a little bit with that medevac stuff, but that Flight for Life helicopter stuff caught on, and I noticed that back here. Mm -hmm. Now it's Flight for Life everywhere, which you take for granted. A lot of that is coming right out of the war. Mm -hmm. the, they're injured. They're in a jungle, surrounded. Just look at any place here with all these trees. We can, how do you get a helicopter and yeah. fly them out? So later towards the end, there was a lot of protests and riots going yes. on. Yes. What were your personal thoughts? Or even just like if you had an experience or something, like how did you feel about the protests and riots going if you on? Go, if you go to the um, news footage from 1968, it was disrupted the, the convention in Chicago, mm -hmm. rioting in the streets, much worse than the Black Lives Matter stuff this year. Mm -hmm. um, you, you could tell how strong feelings were for it and against it, that that anti-war sentiment is that strong, including, if you can believe this, Buddhist monks. Vietnam has got a religion, is I think, mainly Buddhist, although it's got Catholic and stuff. Buddhist monks sitting in front of the White House, pouring a can of gas on themselves and lighting themselves on fire. It's yes. awful. It's awful. And watch them burn like a torch. You say, this is serious. And were you a college student at that time? or how? Throughout, I was, I was a college student from 64 to 69. So, mm -hmm. yes. 
the whole time. And very mixed feelings on, on the colleges, including the gung-ho guys who sort of followed through that if we don't mm -hmm. stop them here, they're going to be in California, which that, got, that wasn't believed. And the other way, uh, I don't know if you know or not, or not, but the math research building in Madison was bombed. Mm -hmm. Not from an airplane, from a what you would now call a terrorist bomb. If you could compare your life before the war to either during or after the war, how would you compare it to? Uh, that, um, that the USA can't do everything. Mm -hmm. Not when you've got all those nuclear bombs and you can't use them because of what would happen. Mm -hmm. And it, it was the, 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 the general blueprint is called MAD. Mutual assured destruction. You hit me with a nuclear bomb, I'm going to hit you back. So don't start it. That would be the basic, that there's a limit to what you can do because you can't, you got them, but you can't use them. Mm -hmm. So you got to use regular planes and regular fighters. More like, uh, you were too little, but more like Iraq. Yeah. It's called conventional warfare compared to nuclear warfare. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you want to add about being life on the home front as an American citizen or any other interesting things you want to add about the war? Those scars are still, if on a Memorial Day, in a bar or in any gathering, you can start an argument both ways on both sides of that issue today. That is, it, it didn't go away. It didn't get healed. Um, it's they're there. People have moved on, but it's kind of uh, don't go there because there are plenty of people who say we lost that war, mm -hmm. and we sort of did because we couldn't. We didn't want to use the, what it would have taken to do it, and that's today. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden is sitting in that Oval Office saying, "I've got all these buttons right here, and I can't use them," mm -hmm. but they're other countries doing this go ahead use yeah them. use them push it so they're right it, it would be kind of the, the limitations that we're not superman yeah and he kind of the big one how do you like your prize if you push those buttons and you burn it all up how do you like how do you like what's left you want to live in that world not me no. did you ever like see firsthand or know anyone that like experienced like severe like PTSD after the Yes. Yes. Over at the VA center on National Avenue, just south of Miller Park. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of friends who are in there. It's hard to tell. They, they weren't shot, but that PTSD, kind of the, the basic issue is this. How much killing and evil do you have to do in the name of doing something good? I shot people. Mm -hmm. I killed people. I gunned them down. I blew their head off. They blew my, the head of my friend off over here, right? But we were trying to do something good. good. You can see how that messes people up, right? I did have to go to uh, Mitchell Field to help identify my friend, identify his cousin who was dead in pieces. And he didn't want to go alone. Yeah. He said, Dan, come along. I, I can't deal with this. That's so sad. So I did. It's, it's, it's rough. You have it right down Capitol Drive here, Wisconsin Memorial Park. You can go and see the date that they say, oh, this is during the Vietnam War. 
that knowing can, that that war couldn't be won on the ground. You would just have to keep pouring more, more Aidens in there, more guys in there. For, and for what? What's your prize? So there. Thank you so much. <laughs> Glad to help. Well, wow, that was such an amazing interview that we got to hear from my grandfather. And I'm so impressed to hear like how much and how many key details he provided us that even for me, like I didn't even know about the Vietnam War at all. What about you? Yeah, that was really interesting. It was I mean, it was really cool to hear like a firsthand, like kind of look at how it was, because I feel like you don't hear often a lot about it, which I thought was unique. Um, I thought it was really interesting, though, that like people were figuring out how to like evade getting um, drafted. Oh, that yeah. was crazy. Like mm -hmm. he was talking about like, well, for one, his cousin went to Canada and he had mentioned that if he would have been drafted, he would have went to Canada with his cousin to evade it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the even like people just getting jobs that they knew that they weren't going to be able to get drafted for. And apparently it sounded like a lot of people did that, which I was, I mean, kind of surprised about, but I mean, I would probably do the same. Yeah, you I know, think. yeah, even my grandpa himself, he did teaching because he yeah. knew that those were one of the, mm -hmm. like, main jobs. And even in college, like, I mean, I think most people if they're going to Vietnam or know about this, but, like, uh, if you're a college student and, like, you actually, like, had, like, you know, the credits, you wouldn't have to go into the war, which is probably why a lot of people then went to college, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of anything that, like, really stood out to me for me I think what stood out to me the most was his own personal experiences from the war and how like even though he wasn't personally in the war of how it still affected him in other ways mm -hmm. so that family wise work wise or even like his friends like I know he mentioned at the very end of the podcast how he needed to go uh, well he didn't need to but his friend really wanted him to go along to see like an justify if this was like one of his brothers that um sadly committed suicide which is awful but he also knew so many people that struggle from ptsd which is just so sad because it's just such a violent war it's insane i know and i mean even though he was in the war clearly he was impacted by like seeing all these other people that he was close to i mean his friend died from the war so i was like he was still like really impacted though even at night even if he didn't go to the war because it was just such a crazy time period. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like overall, like, what I got taken away from the interview was just basically just picking up new information and getting that more firsthand experience of really under getting a deep understanding of, like, what it was life, like, like as a life as an American during the Vietnam War. I don't know. Yeah. What did you think about? I know. I, I kind of thought the same. Like, I just thought it was interesting to find out, like, how it was truly like. Because, I mean, I'm kind of curious myself. Obviously, I wasn't alive then. So I just think it was interesting. I thought it was really fascinating to hear what he had to say about it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for tuning into our podcast, Observations of the Vietnam War, the Homefront Edition. If you like this episode, think about listening to any of the other fascinating episodes within this podcast. We hope this episode gave you a different point of view of the Vietnam War and provided you with a new sense of information. Thank you.